Well, thank you very much for joining uh, me today. Um, if you're um, if you're happy, uh, unless you have any questions, we can we can jump straight into it, Ian, if that suits you. That's that's absolutely fine. Great stuff. Um, so the first section, Ian, is um, essentially all about you. Um, okay. So nice big open question to begin with. How did you get into procurement? Um, so I'd love to say I planned it, but I didn't. Um, I sort of evolved into it um, opportunistically rather than anything else. So I, I graduated with an engineering degree, um, started working in a manufacturing environment. It, it was uh, the end of the 80s. It was actually quite tough getting, getting a placement. I started working in manufacturing, then quickly got into um, manufacturing planning. And I had a, a, a manager who was an ex-consultant, actually, who was, was quite influential. He, um, he set up a project to say, can we take waste out of the whole manufacturing process and can we improve it and so on? So I got, got into that. He encouraged me quite a lot, but also encouraged me to do an MBA. From, from there, I moved into consulting, initially in operations, but then because I was working for one of the large consulting firms doing that does a lot of procurement, that opportunity came up fairly quickly. And well, that's, that's how I ended up in, in procurement. Um, I, it's an area that I find super interesting and I've, I've stayed in it since then. Mm, okay, great stuff. Um, what are the roles and responsibilities the procurement function holds within your organization? How do you split the function out? So uh, we're a, being a consulting firm, we don't, quite, we don't have a, a typical, here's your procurement organization and then the rest of the organization does something different. We, we all do procurement. Um, and how we work really depends, I'd say, more on our clients than our client situation than, than our situation. Um, sometimes we work with clients and we're helping them to take cost out. That's the classic thing. Sometimes we're helping them to working with clients and we're helping them to drive transformation in the way they do procurement, which is more and more becoming important. Sometimes mm -hmm. we work with clients where they have supply chain issues, getting product into their plants or getting services delivered on time to themselves. Uh, and again, we try and help them uh, or we help them to address some of those issues and to improve it and take, typically take cost out, but also improve service levels. Mm. Okay, great stuff. And for context, it might be good just to get a bit of an overview of Officio as well. Um, how big is Officio and, and how would you describe what you do? Officio is close to 500 people. Um, we are headquartered in London. Um, mm -hmm. And I would say about 60 to 70% of our people are based in London. Um, however, we have uh, growing operations around Europe, North America, and the Middle East. Uh, we've now got 10 offices in total. Um, what we do is we, you know, we're co we consult with clients, we work with clients to help them address procurement uh, challenges they have or procurement improvement opportunities they have. We work with lots of uh, clients across lots of different sectors, so financial services, private equity, infrastructure, government, uh, and so on. A number of different um, sectors. And we, we basically we, we work with them to help them drive some cost advantage in, the, in their mm -hmm. procurement. And they're all they're all very different. Great stuff. And how long have you been with the business, Ian? I've been there since two thousand and four, so sixteen years. Wow, long time. Quite some time. Yep, quite some time. It's a it's a good place to be. What do you like about the world of consulting? Um, <clears throat> consulting is. Um, the big thing about it is it's varied. So there's a lot of variety working with different people, working with different industries, different sectors, uh, different places, um, uh, working with people who've got, uh, you know, you're working with, sometimes you work with people who, you know, they work very hard. Sometimes you work with people who are very um, influential and you can actually, you can actually feel like you're learning with them, learning mm. from them as well as giving stuff back to them. Um, that's, that's what keeps it going. The, the variety, we also have lots of people joining Officio from different backgrounds. 
variety of that is uh, is also you know it's it's very interesting. Mm. interesting. And um, based on my experience working with different consultancies, I know even in a steady state economy, it can be a very challenging job. Now, what challenges would you say that you and your team are currently facing in light of current situation around the world? So COVID is probably, uh, obviously it's the word of the day, uh, yeah. the word of the year maybe. Um, that's driven a huge amount of change. Um, I, I guess there's a few ways of answering that question. One is the challenges that our clients and challenges that we have, uh, have, have evolved and changed. I think at the outset of COVID, people were naturally, and businesses were naturally very worried about continuity, about cash, about uh, profit, about being able to keep people employed, keep people busy. That's evolved. Um, they've also been very concerned about resilience in their supply chains. Um, Things have fortunately settled down quite a bit, I think for us, for lots of people in our industry, um, but we've also had to get used to new ways of working. Um, I think it has hugely accelerated the move to digital, hugely accelerated remote working clearly. Um, things were going that way anyway, but um, it's, it's clearly accelerated and it's clearly become the, the new norm. That's probably an over, overused expression, but, uh, mm. but it's true. Um, I, I also think one of the challenges are we've had to work, we probably had to work harder um it's been it's been interesting people clients have been i would say that little more um hesitant to make big decisions like taking externals on some of them have been more and therefore more hesitant and therefore we've had to work that little bit harder to to give them confidence and to make them feel confident that we're actually there to help them and help and there to help them you know deliver what's what's required for them that's possibly the biggest part of it um i think there are there are other sides as well which are the flip side is which, uh, you know, we've been able to, um, because we're working remotely, we've been able to do lots of stuff like, I mean, we can, we can work from wherever, we can actually hold multiple meetings in a day instead of spending half of the day traveling. So there are some flip sides, some advantages as well. Mm, okay. Clearly you're, um, you're very passionate about procurement and the landscape has changed in the way that you do things. Um, yep. What would you say you're most passionate about with regards to procurement at, at this point? Um, so I, I think uh, there's a there's a piece around you know traditionally we would we would uh, you'd go into procurement and you'd try and get the best cost and procurement would operate independently from from um, the rest of the organisation. The bit that I get passionate about is when I see somebody doing something different. Um, so they're doing something that um, you know delivers extra value to their client to their stakeholders. I'm not talking about us as a, necessarily as a consultant, I'm talking about procurement in general. If they've, if somebody's delivered extra value by changing the supply market, finding a new solution, finding a way of doing something at a better cost, but actually at a better service and a better value delivered, mm. that's when procurement is not just, I mean, taking cost out should be the basics, but it's actually really adding value. It's adding sometimes some competitive advantage to their, their stakeholders and their business. And if mm. they can be the, the commercial part of the business that helps not just drive the the cost line, but also helps drive the uh, the service level and what's offered to the customer. That's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Okay, great stuff. And I think you may have touched upon a few of these things already, but what would you say is a real kind of key focus area for procurement now, Ian? Um, I mentioned I mentioned the piece around it was cost reduction. So I I think that's the basics. There's lots of lots of focus areas, uh, and COVID has brought some of those into into stark relief for us. We the ability to be agile, the ability to respond, the ability to, uh, when a client comes and says they want to, they'd like you to do something, that's not typically part of your repertoire that you would typically do. The answer, you should try and work out a way and say, 
say yes. Uh, and I, I think that agility is super important. The other thing that's becoming more and more important, and again, COVID has really brought this to the fore, is, uh, is sustainability. So sustainability in terms of in terms of the impact that we have on the environment, the way we work with people, um, and making sure that we can do all that and still make a profit. That's mm. becoming probably the biggest focus. And I think particularly in Western Europe, that's, it's, that is, that's where procurement is going right now. Mm. Are you finding that COVID has almost fast-tracked that sustainability agenda for a lot of companies in light of what's happening to the planet? I think it has in a couple of ways. Um, one is it's taught us that we can actually do it differently. Um, so if I think about my own situation, uh, I was probably traveling every week, going somewhere. I was taking flights regularly. I haven't taken a flight since March. Um, and actually that hasn't gotten the way of me doing business. I currently have a client in Ireland, in the UK, in South Africa, not taking flights, not traveling has not been a barrier. So we've learned to actually do things differently, which is fantastic. Um, but there's also the pressure and that pressure is probably, the pressure is probably coming from society as opposed to uh, from any regulation at the moment. Some industries are feeling regulation, but it's actually also coming from the pressure that we all feel that we must do things differently mm. and that's accelerating things as well. Mm. Okay, great. What do you look for when, when hiring people into a physio, Ian? Um, so there are basics and then there are the things that are nice to have. Um, <clears throat> I think the basics is somebody who's smart, who's able to work with numbers, who's able to, um, who's got an interest and a passion in procurement. That's important. But the other things that are probably more important is having a bit of a spark, having a, an engagement, having uh, an ability to actually relate to people. We, we, we talk a lot about us doing things in a very fact-based way um, and that delivers benefits. But the truth is that's important. Mm -hmm. It's we make things different by engaging with people and getting them to uh, be open to new ways of doing things and getting them to learn new ways of doing things. And if you don't have the ability to engage with people, then I think then I think there's a, there's a real challenge in terms of uh, how you're going to succeed in consulting. So that's, mm. that's the piece we look at. I, uh, I have a, a story that I remember of recruiting, of doing an interview with somebody who um, was going through all of our, <clears throat> our case studies and our, um, some of our discussion around their ability to work with numbers and so on, and even, even the analytical tests that we sometimes run. And the truth is they were quite, quite borderline in that. But in that discussion, uh, both the colleague of mine and myself who were uh, doing the interview realized that this person had a real ability to engage with us. He was concise, he had a little bit of passion the way he talked. He was able to actually relate what he was trying to relate very quickly, concisely, succinctly to us. And it just worked. And we took a, we took a slight risk in terms of breaking what, are, what would be our own norms and saying, no, I actually want to give this person a chance and bring them in. And it was a great decision. Um, that person has now you know, proved to be a really, really good consultant. Mm, that's great to hear. I'm increasingly hearing from clients, um, have done for the last couple of years, how important the soft skills are within procurement, certainly for in-house roles. How much more important do you think that side of it is within a consulting role? Um, it, it's absolutely essential. If you think about how people grow from the beginnings when they're learning to be analytical and they're learning to be um, <clears throat> learning to follow a process uh, they'll do all that at first but the the next bit of growth comes from when they actually help people to change i i often use the statement you know you won't 
win an argument by being right or by shouting louder. You'll win the argument by actually taking the other person with you um, mm. and getting them to realize that actually a, a different way is the, is the right way. Uh, not necessarily your way, but a different way is the right way. And I think that ability to engage is uh, almost more important than the ability to run the numbers. The, mm. Running the numbers will get you at the basic level. It won't, it won't help you to advance. Mm. Great. Section two, Ian, is, um, is, more of a, is more of a pick and mix. And I think you've, um, you've sent me over some, some selections of, of what you'd like to talk about. Um, so the first question, uh, quite interesting, actually. What would you say is the biggest achievement um, in your procurement career so far? Um, it, it's probably too easy for me to say reaching VP with a consulting firm. I, I feel proud of and I feel it's an accomplishment. But I think the backstory is probably, um, is probably more important. Um, how I, I think a big piece of me getting there was leading a, a huge project that we had across the UK and US, uh, working with um, teams who had a huge amount of expertise, huge amount of capability in running quite complex categories and working with, with fairly heavy hitting and senior stakeholders and their ability to actually, to actually change the way procurement was done and deliver massive um, benefits to the client. Uh, and actually delivering delivering a lasting change to the client. So my my role in leading that was um, this was probably the one that the project where I realised that actually I can't compete and should not compete with any of my colleagues that were within the team that I was leading. Um, basically, I I had to I had to provide the air cover, and I had to provide the ability for them to to make the advance and make the to advance on their milestones, advance on their categories, and deliver the benefits. And my role was not was not at all one of uh, driving them or anything like that. It was really around working with the client to make sure that we removed all the barriers for them. Mm. So that learning, I think, was the piece that was probably the biggest project I'd done, the biggest success I'd had, and I think that was a big part of me reaching the VP level. Mm. With regards to that VP level, I'm intrigued to find out, what would you say is the, um, is the, the main responsibilities of a VP within a physio compared to maybe what you've done in a more delivery-focused role in the past? Um, so within Officio, uh, there are two, two key responsibilities, and I'm sure a number of others as well. One is around business development, you know, meeting with clients, talking with clients, understanding what their needs are, and I should have said listening to clients, probably the most important, important part. Understanding their needs are and doing some problem solving with them or bringing our experts in to do problem solving with them to find out, well, are there areas we can help them with? Um, and typically there are. Um, if, if there aren't, we're quite happy to say that. Um, but typically there are, and we'll, we'll then have a, a program with them. Um, but then I actually do re retain responsibility that we deliver. Most of our client engagements involve us having some level of fee at risk on delivery. Um, we're very comfortable with that. We've been doing that for a long time. Um, and I naturally retain responsibility that we actually achieve that, both for the, for the client getting the results that they want, but also for us getting the results that we want. Mm. Fantastic. What would you say um, makes Officio different from some of the other procurement consultancies out there? Um, so ev everybody, when asked something like that, is going to say something like it's, it's about the people. Um, I think it is. I think we're encouraged to work as a team. We're encouraged, encouraged to uh, work together. If I have an opportunity to work with one of my colleagues who's got an opportunity to work with a client and I can help him, uh, I, I will do that. Um, I'm incentivized to do it. I don't need to claim the credit because we all share the benefits of, of a successful firm. Um, and it's, the, the people piece is not necessarily about us 
uh, getting help from others, it's a piece around us putting in. So if we put in and everybody puts in, we'll all, we'll all get out. Uh, we'll all get something out from it and benefit from it. The, the other piece in terms of people um, is um, I have the pleasure of running a, um, a, a program that we do every year where we recognize excellence in officio. So we allow all of our uh, consultants and business services staff to nominate a colleague or nominate a team that's done something over and above uh, the norm and has actually done something that's had an impact on them in a positive way. So we let them, we let them uh, nominate that. So I get the chance among a few others of reading all the nominations and uh, the unenviable task of deciding which ones deserve to be, uh, they all deserve to be recognized, but which ones deserve to be awarded a prize. Um, that is, that's something that actually creates a, a great buzz when we do it and it's, uh, it creates a very positive atmosphere. And I think that positive atmosphere is, is great. That, for me, that's the, the piece that's, that really makes official difference. Sounds like a really great incentive and a, and, a, and a great way to encourage people who are doing well to, um, to continue shooting for the stars and progressing with a yep. With regards to um, risk-taking, um, what would you say is the biggest risk you've taken in your career to date? Um, if I think back to when I joined Officio, um, so I was working for AT Kearney at the time, um, big international management consulting firm with a great reputation, um, a great um, track record of delivery with clients. Uh, it had a, a great um, image about working there and they invested a lot of money and effort in training, etc. And I left there to go and work with a small, at the time, startup called Officium. Um, when I joined, there were 15 people. I think I was employee number 19 at the time. Um, and uh, I was moving from a company with all the infrastructure and all of the reputation to one that was unknown. Um, and the infrastructure was quite basic, as you'd expect in lots of startups. Um, and when I say infrastructure, I'm not just talking about laptops and so on. I'm talking about the whole business infrastructure. Um, fortunately, that risk paid off. Um, so we're now coming up to 500 people um, and we have the infrastructure and we invest a huge amount in our people. We invest a huge amount in training and we have the reputation. Um, so. That was probably the biggest one because when you think about it, if the team hadn't been successful, it could have gone entirely the other way. Mm. What made you think that it was a good opportunity at the time? Um, probably the environment, the, the economic environment. So AT Kearney was a, a great firm, um, but had, didn't, had gone through a growth phase and was plateauing and actually maybe even contracting a little bit at that particular time. And Officio, I felt, was... Um, was one that had growth in front of it. I knew, I met and I knew some of the people that worked at Officio at the time. And I just felt this is, uh, this is going to grow. This is going to be a good move. Fantastic. You haven't looked back since? Nope. <laughs> With just going a little bit off piece again, and we'll get back onto some of the, um, the other questions. Out of interest, what has kept you in, in, in the world of consulting for so long? Because I speak to lots of people who... Um, they, they, they get into consulting, it's a brilliant foundation, and then I think they just get a little bit burnt out, and then they move into an in-house industry role, and it really helps them. It gives them a fantastic platform, and it, I feel like it makes them better than some of the other candidates who have only ever been in an in-house role, because they, they, just, they just seem to be more on the sharp end. What's kept you in, um, in consulting for the, the bulk of your career? Um, so I enjoy it, it's probably the first thing. I enjoy it. I've continued learning. Um, I think the variety, there's no doubt if I moved into a line role with a, with a, within industry, I would continue learning, but I think the variety I get here is, is phenomenal. And I think the, the, the people that are coming in, 
are also phenomenally strong and they're different and the ability to continue learning is is great mm. um, and the ability to continue working in different areas and the variety of working with different clients is also, is also fantastic that's what's kept me and with regards to um what's what's c- continuing to push you in your career moving forwards and um, what would you say inspires you as a procurement leader now um it's it's easy to point at some uh it's easy to point at some um senior character who's uh who's got a great track record of delivering and a great and is an industry leader and so on but i'd almost want to go the other direction the piece piece for me i mentioned the recognizing excellence in officio uh, the piece for me is seeing some of the juniors coming in and joining um some of the the new people to the industry new people to consulting who are frankly very smart very capable very quick to adopt new technologies new ways of doing things they've also got different value sets um and i think that they're uh, you, you know reading through some of the nominations shows me some of the value sets and the way they they operate um they've they're interested in doing the right thing quite a lot mm-hmm. um, we mentioned sustainability earlier on um most of the consultants that we have at the junior level they're leading they're the ones that are leading the sustainability piece they're the ones that are excited about doing it they want to do things in a different way they, they're not interested in the in the race to the bottom in terms of cost that that's part delivering cost advantage is part of what we have to do but what they're interested in doing is actually making a difference and doing the right thing and mm-hmm. even to the point where you listen to some of the junior consultants talking and the, the, their ideas of we're part of society um, are in a different place to where they were where, where they would have been 20 years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. They actually want to put something back in. Um, and these are people who have no problems paying their taxes because they think it's the right thing to do. No problems um, paying a little bit more for something that's sustainable and mm-hmm. because they think it's the right thing to do. And, and I think they're the values that are quite inspirational. And for those more junior members of Starfian looking up at people like you, what, what skills would, would you tell them that, that you would consider essential to, to become a procurement leader or to be a procurement leader? So again, uh, the, the basics are being data-driven, being numerate, being able to be commercial. They're super important. Uh, engaging with people, absolutely essential. The ability to take somebody on a, on a journey with you. Um, there's a, there's a, a story I tell about myself, which is, I used to be afraid when I go into a meeting to spend time just chatting before the meeting would start. I think to myself, that's such a waste of time. Uh, I now think that's not a waste of time at all. That actually is a complete investment of time, which is worth it because you actually get people at ease. You get people chatting and more open to, to discussion than they would otherwise be if you go straight into the discussion. Um, but the, I guess the other, the other thing that I think is essential is, um, you know, the ability to, uh, lots of us, lots of juniors particularly, are very technology focused. So they'll get on their laptop, they'll send emails, they'll uh, do things by, by email. I actually think there's a piece that says pick up the phone as well. You know, mm. the technology also works. Go and talk to somebody. Um, they're the things that I think will uh, are important to, to some of the juniors. They've gone completely in one way, and I think there's a little bit about going back a bit too. Do you think that's a generational thing? I think it is, um, but I think it's um, something that uh, I think it's something that people will learn as they go forward because actually it is about people. Yeah. If you want to get people to change, you've got to talk to them. Absolutely. And what do you think of the, um, the current procurement trends or hot topics and what emerging roles do you think we'll see in procurement as a result? 
So there, there are lots of um, lots of hot topics uh, going, and we can all go and Google what are the what are the hot topics at the moment. They're around talent, you know, you'll see things about talent acquisition, talent retention, innovation, early involvement, and so on. The piece, the piece for me though is when I think about, you know, I reach out to uh, clients, former clients, a lot of the time to say, uh, you know, interested in having a discussion around where it might be innovation or early involvement or, or sourcing or supplier management or SRM and so on. But the thing that almost always gets them to pick up the phone is the sustainability piece. That mm -hmm. for me is the, there's no, there's no other game out there in some ways. Um, you know, you reach out to a, a client that I worked with a, a couple of years ago to say, can we have a discussion around such thing? And they're, they're, they've got lots on their mind, they're a lot busy. But one of the things that is on their mind is sustainability, and they haven't quite worked out what to do with it yet. So yeah. they're happy to have lots and lots and lots of discussions. So for me, that is the, you know, the hot topic at the moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, we, we've touched upon this a little bit already, Ian, um, but if, if, if you would, wouldn't mind just entertaining me on this one, COVID-19, um, hopefully yep. this is the last discussion you'll have this year about COVID-19, although I very much doubt it. <laughs> um, first question, what role has, um, have you and, and Officio played in enabling um, the company to face the, the pandemic? So there's a, a few ways, the, the role we played, there's a few ways of, of answering that. I think the, the first one is, you know, when, when the pandemic hit first, I think our reaction was like, was like lots of other um, of other industries, which was, what does this mean for us? What does it mean for our clients? What does it mean for the way we do business? What can we do to help manage that? Um, and and I think we went through that, fortunately, successfully by by trying to uh, uh, trying to secure that we were we continue to be busy, continue to be constructive, continue to be working with clients. Um, and I think our attitude to clients became far more. I mean, we've always been, how can we help a client? But it became far more. Um, I want the answer to be yes when we're asked if we can do something. And I also want to talk to clients about, well, what do you need help with? Uh, and so on, because frankly, there's, there's no point in us being, there's no point in us having business drop away and not being, not being busy. So we, our attitude to business, I think, changed and became much more, more agile. Um, the other thing we did internally, and we all played a role in this, is you know, if you think within a company, and I'm sure it's exactly the same for you, James, you, you, um, you're in the office, you walk and you meet people during the day, you um, stop and you have a coffee, you have a chat with them, you talk to them about what you're working on, what's on your mind. Now, how do you replicate that in a remote mm. uh, environment? That's a, that's a challenge. Mm. We, actually went, um, we actually went almost overboard. We decided we were gonna put lots of meetings in the diary between uh, the senior management team, between the whole company, lots of briefings, make sure within project teams we were doing it, make sure within uh, mentor teams that we were doing it. So we, we all have a mentor and we all at the senior level are mentors to others. So we did lots of reach outs to people. Um, so we went into overdrive doing this um, because we felt it was important to stay connected as a, as a business because the biggest risk as a people business is that you have people feeling that they're not, that they're mm -hmm. being abandoned and they're not part of a bigger picture. So we went into overdrive doing that and uh, that makes me sound like I'm saying we did it too much, but I don't think we did. I think we learned mm -hmm. a lot from it. We actually did a lot more than previously and it was a good thing to do. And that's one of the things we probably probably learned from it. Um, we also realized that it's doing business in this environment is tough. Um, there are elements of it that are everybody's getting used to, so that's actually okay. I mean, they're doing uh, meetings on the phone, on video conference and so on is, is fine. Um, but the tough bits are giving that confidence to somebody that I can help them and that mm -hmm. I can do it remotely. 
Um, so we all worked that bit harder to make sure that that actually happened. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's so much in our business as well that, that correlates to what you've just said. And I think for a lot of the businesses that I talk to, I think at the start of lockdown back in March, people were like, oh, great, you know, I get to work from home. You know, we've got all these tools to, to, so I don't have to go into the office. But I think people have almost done a bit of a 180 now and they are sick to death of working in their second bedroom and they want to be in with the team and they want to be able to have those chats by the coffee machine and they want that social element of work because you know, people don't just work to live. You know, they, sorry, they don't just live to work. They, they you know, they work to live. And, and I think that the social side of, of and the culture of a company is so important and you lose that. So the, um, the meetings that you've, you've mentioned there, it sounds like that, that was quite a good thing. Um, what, what about from the, the kind of social side of things? Did you guys do much before COVID with, with regards to, team drinks and, and bonding outside of work and, and how have you managed to kind of emulate that in, in, the, in the COVID climate? Yep, you're, you're absolutely right. That's a, that was a change. So uh, I, if I give an example, pre-COVID, I would have been on a, maybe I was on a project in, with, a, with a team in, we'll say in Durham. Uh, we'd have gone out for a, a meal in the evening uh, as a team. We might have had some drinks afterwards um, and we'd have done that a couple of times a week. So the social side of it's huge. Um, and suddenly that's all that's all gone. What we have done is we've made an effort to try and have some social side within projects. So we've had lots of Zoom um, Zoom lunches. We've had <clears throat> excuse me Zoom drinks and even some Zoom team building events. And they've evolved from the. Uh, let's be honest, everybody's getting getting a little bit tired of quizzes. They evolved. At first, we'd have the quiz and get people interacting with each other. But the the most recent one I've done is where we've actually had a cocktail making class over Zoom, oh, which was really good. good fun. Yeah. Yeah, really good fun. So we tried to emulate it. I don't think you can do it several times a week, um, but certainly you can you can do it a you can do it occasionally. The other thing you can do is you can actually you can actually do what we would have thought was a terrible thing to do previously. You can set up a meeting with a group of people with no agenda, just to chat, and we've done some of that. Um, and doing that actually is quite nice because people don't feel a pressure that they have to be um, performing or doing anything, and they can actually just talk about what's on their mind. Mm, yeah, and probably vent on, on a few things as well that are bothering them and they're not able um, to talk to anybody about. Yeah, that doesn't usually happen in a group area, though. That's usually on a one-on-one. -on -one. Oh, okay. If yeah. people need to vent, if people need to vent about something, I'd rather they did it because then you know what's on their mind. Sure, absolutely. Um, now, just moving on to the um, the last section, Ian. This this one's all about you. Um, so, yeah. first, first question: What do you like to do in your spare time? Do you have any favourite books, films, destinations, sports? <clears throat> So I love holidays. Who doesn't? Let's be honest. Um, I particularly love, and this is something that's been tough this year. I particularly love around that October, November time when the winter's coming in, it's getting dark, it's starting to get cold. I like to take a break and go somewhere warm, whether that's Southern Hemisphere, South Africa, whether that's Med or something like that. I love to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I enjoy skiing in the, in the uh, winter as well. It also helps break the winter up. And I guess the piece I do when I'm, so I live in, I live in southwest London near the um, <clears throat> near the river. The bit I love doing on weekends is when the weather's good is to you know get out on a bike. There's lots of towpaths along the river. There's lots of parks around there just to to enjoy doing something slightly different. Mm -hmm. What's the best holiday you've ever been on? Um, th there's been quite a, quite a few that have been very remarkable. I think ones that actually I you know where I where I enjoy a mixture of doing things. Um, I do like a beach, but I don't like to be on it every day. I do like to do historical things, but they're 
it's it's a mixture. I think is is probably what's what's great. And I think somewhere like Rio, Rio was fantastic, or mm. Israel was fantastic to go and see. You know, spend time on the beach, see some historical stuff, and it's phenomenal. Great. And if you could give any advice to your younger self, Ian, what would it be? Um, <clears throat> difficult one. <laughs> um, I think my younger self was started off was probably a bit timid and afraid of seniors. Um, I was in awe of seniors and afraid of them and worried probably too much about what they thought of me. Um, whereas the advice I'd now say is what I should, what I should have done is not worry about that, but just really focus on, on doing a good job and having a little bit of showing a little bit of passion about what I was doing, because that's probably more important than worrying about what they think. Mm. Um, I probably spent too much time, trying to, to, to manage people's image of me as opposed to, as opposed to simply getting on doing what I was supposed to do. Mm. Yeah, I think that's great advice for any young person going into a people-facing role. And I think it's something we all have to overcome at some point. Yep. Tell us an interesting fact about yourself, Ian. That, this is probably the most difficult question. Everybody struggles with <laughs> you this one. Ask me. Yeah. yeah. Um, Interesting fact. So there's, there's lots I went through, lots of thoughts I went through, and uh, not sure if they're actually that interesting. Probably, so the probably the one that I, that rings a bell is you know I've holidays in lots of places. I've gone to lots of um, lots of countries which are uh, underdeveloped and and poor. The the piece I probably that's probably the biggest impact on me is is seeing so much poverty and seeing people unable to. Um, get out of that situation. So the bit, the bit that had an impact on me was, what's my role in this? Because there's nothing, you, you know, you're there in that situation, you can't do very much. Obviously you treat people with respect and so on. But the, the, the piece that I got from that is this, this thing about inclusion and diversity and non-discrimination and uh, avoiding unconscious bias and so on. I think we are very lucky to have grown up in Western Europe and to have had opportunities and education and healthcare and all the things that we probably take for granted but shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have to. I think we have to um, make an extra effort to make sure that we give other people opportunities when we have the ability to make decisions. Um, and I think that's that probably had the biggest impact on me. And how I behave as a result mm. is. Um, yeah, not sure how interesting that actually is. No, it's very interesting. It's a different take than than, than I've heard before. I really like that. And it probably ties quite nicely into the, the next question. Do you have a personal motto that you live by? And if so, what is it? Um, yeah, there's a piece around looking at myself in the mirror and doing the right thing and being seen, um, being seen to do the right thing. I, it's, very, it's very difficult to defend something and to say, to, to hold a position in a discussion, whether it's with a client, with a supplier, with a colleague, if, you, if you're not actually feeling that your heart is in it. Mm-hmm. And I think so much easier to do the right thing. And also, you know, you, you look back on things that you've done in the past. And if you're not proud of the decision you made at the time, because you, when you look back on things, you look with different eyes. Um, if you're not proud of what you did at the time, then I think it's a bad thing. So my motto is, you know, be honest, look yourself in the mirror and say, would I actually be proud of this in 10 years time? Fantastic. Well, thank you, Ian. That concludes the interview. I really enjoyed it. Hope you did too. Um, I enjoyed too. Fantastic.